Hello and welcome to the Instructional Insider. I'm your host, Dr. Morgan Pittman, Instructional Designer and Curriculum Specialist at the North Carolina School of Science and Math in Morganton. It has been a cold week here on campus, which even though the blue skies told a different story, the winds and the glare definitely made it feel like winter, which I think we all have forgotten that technically until next week, it is still winter. Anyway, we all starting to have those spring, spring fever, but uh, it is still winter. Anyway, so let's highlight all the great things I saw here on our Morganton campus this week. So I intentionally went out on a mission of this week to capture different classrooms. Um, it feels like a lot of times my schedule allots for me to be out and about on campus at specific times, and I always seem to catch the same classes in action. Um, so I intentionally went out at different days at different times this week to try to highlight some of the classes that perhaps I haven't visited as frequent. So my first class that I want to highlight is um, Research in Biology 2. Um, the students were in their class and they were beginning to start working with fruit flies. Um, they were investigating, they were, I hope I'm stating this correctly, but they were kind of putting them to sleep um, using uh, CO2 um, so that they could kind of start looking at different things with them. And the students were um, really just getting to their hands in, in working with the fruit flies and learning how to um, work with them and use the microscopes. And, um, you know, they're really small. But um, fruit flies are a common organism used in a lot of biological research. They're small and they're easy to maintain, maintain and they reproduce quickly. Um, and so they're just really ideal for studies. Um, the students actually told me that they were using wingless fruit flies so that they wouldn't be uh, flying around or anything like that. So um, that was a really exciting time for me to get to see them um, working in, in that uh, research environment. I can't wait to see where their studies go um, as the semester continues and beyond. Um, I then got to see another chemistry class. I tend to find chemistry classes in action a lot, which is great. I mean, I'm, I'm thrilled with that. Um, these students were um, studying chemo chemical equilibrium and um, working with different components. I'm pretty sure they told me they were working with cobalt. hope I'm not stating that wrong. Um, and adding it to heat and adding it to um, ice and, and changing it in that reversible um, chemical reaction. Um, I then got to see... Um, in a humanities class, we also have research and research experience in humanities. And I was able to see that class, the students in there had been reading a graphic novel. Um, and I am not going to say this correctly. So it is H-A-N-O-I, Rat Hunt. 
three. Um, and it was a text about um, an empire and disease in the French colonial Vietnam. So it was a very different perspective and um, outlook from um, Vietnam outside of just talking about the war. So it was a very interesting, the, the students were very passionate about the, the text and the content and the information that they had gathered from this experience. Um, then I also got to go into a foreign language class. A lot of times I find the Spanish class and I found the Arabic class. Um, they were working with pronouns and verbs in Arabic and I could not follow along with, with that lesson. Um, a lot of times in Spanish, I am able to follow along from previous experience in having a background in um, taking Spanish myself as a student, but um, I have not experienced um, taking Arabic as a student, so I could not follow along with they, what they were doing, but um, it was really interesting to get to see our students work um, with that foreign language. And then I, I was sitting downstairs or on the, the third floor, and I heard this music that I had not heard before. And I was like, that sounds really different. Um, it wasn't a sound that I had heard because where my office is here on the third floor, I frequently hear um, them practicing up on the fourth floor. So I went upstairs to the fourth floor and found um, the music students, specifically percussion, working on a new song for their upcoming concert. Um, if that song was any indication of the rest of the concert, it sounds like that um, it will be a treat for everyone that attends. So um, this week we are getting ready to uh, jump into our STEM interview for the week. Um, this one is one that I enjoyed. Um, they, they do a lot of partnership with other nonprofits here locally, um, but I think it's one that it relates to us um, from very much an, an environmental standpoint with our research in biology, from chemistry in the environment, um, and, and also just the way they use um, their data science and Python. So I think this is an interesting podcast interview that you will enjoy in the field of STEM. And this is talking with a representative from Foothills Conservancy. All right, today with me I have Michael Gaffney. Thank you so much for joining me, Michael. I'm very happy to be here. So, uh, Michael, tell us where you work and what your job title is. Sure, I work for Foothills Conservancy of North Carolina and my job title is Conservation and GIS Specialist. Okay, so um, what exactly do you, is Foothills? What is their role? So Foothills Conservancy is a land trust, which is a type of environmental nonprofit. And we work in an eight county service area in, in and around Morganton. We've conserved about 66,000 acres of land since our founding in 1995. And a vast majority of that land has been transferred over to the public. So that's in state parks, state game lands, or national forests. Right, okay. But we also hold some of the land for ourselves for preserves, to manage for biodiversity, or to open up to the public. 
All right. So what counties does that include? Can you remember them all? Yes. <laughs> Let's try again. It's Burke County is our central one. Okay. And then it's Caldwell, McDowell, Rutherford County, Cleveland County, Alexander County, Catawba County, and Lincoln County. Are you having to picture a map in your head when you're yes. naming them? I would totally I have to do that. I always think spatially. Okay. Yes. That's me too. So we are in the heart of the foothills. Yes. Um, and it includes my hometown, McDowell. Um, so the Catawba River, Lake James, Catawba Falls, all of that's right there at my, at my home. So I appreciate all that you guys do to preserve. All right, so what is your personal story? Like, how did you get where you are today? How did you come into your role? Sure, so my job is very much science-focused, but I was not always someone interested in the sciences. Okay. I was always someone who was outdoorsy. I grew up exploring the woods of Vermont when I was a kid, okay. and I skied a lot. But my primary interest is in the humanities. Okay. My undergraduate degree at Middlebury College in Vermont was in English. And after I finished there, I wanted to be a college professor and teach English. Okay. So I went to Duke University to do a PhD in their literature program. Okay. And I was primarily studying environmental humanities, which is environmental literature, yes. environmental philosophy, environmental history. Yes. And while at Duke teaching classes, doing research in that field, I started to show up at science events and started to work more with the scientists at the Nicholas School of the Environment. Right. And about midway through the PhD, I decided that I wanted to alter the course of study a little bit okay. to tack on an extra master's degree in landscape ecology okay. and remote sensing and GIS. So I ended up combining the sciences and the humanities into a kind of dual degree. I love it because that, you almost, I think you need to come work here as an instructor. <laughs> <laughs> because Certainly thought about it. You, you fit all of the check boxes. Like we, even though we are a school of science and math, yeah. And we love the environmental study piece. I mean, we're right here in, you know, Western North Carolina. It's at our fingertips. Yeah. But we honor the humanities and appreciate the fine arts and all of that, the literature, the history. So if you ever want to move <laughs> over into education, you know where we are. <laughs> yeah, and my perspective on, on this having studied from the humanities perspective and then moving to the science perspective, the crises that we're facing in the environment today yeah. are so extreme that we can't just have scientists working on it. We can't just have social scientists. Yes. We need every different discipline available, yes. putting all of their resources into thinking about this, these okay. problems. And doing so what degree do you have that landed you into the role that you're in now? Because your undergrad was in literature, right? Yes, okay. undergrad was in literature. It was really the PhD in environmental humanities and then the probably more so the master's in landscape ecology okay. that allowed me to do the job that I do. Okay. Because my position was, my role is really involved in land acquisition. Okay. So I do conservation planning. I figure out what places are most valuable in our service area to conserve, and then I raise funds for them, and I acquire the land. And then the process unfolds from there. I also am involved in our restoration efforts. Yeah. So I figure out what places need to be restored with streams and then again I go out and get funding for it yeah. and then implement the restoration. So I'm, I, I'm going to come to this question at the end but it's just yeah. kind of at the tip <laughs> of my tongue right now. I can see how much your humanities background has really benefited you oh, in yeah. this role. Tell Absolutely. me how. Well it's a lot of it is 
pushing me to think about the way conservation works from a more human perspective. Okay. For a very long time, the beginning of conservation, people practiced in a way where people, humans, weren't supposed to be in conservation lands. This we call this fortress conservation. Okay. You acquire land, you prevent people from going right. in there, you just want it to be for the animals, for trees, for natural communities. Right. But the perspective we have today through you know years of humanities research is that this was never a good idea. Right. We always need to think about our conservation lands as interacting with humans. Right. Not just allowing people to go out and walk the lands, but also thinking about the benefits that natural spaces afford to us. Clean water, yes. clean air, large-scale biodiversity, carbon sequestration for climate change. So I'd say the humanities focus of my other degree really made me think about doing this kind of conservation as opposed to any other kind. Okay, okay. So, then you ended up, was this your first, like, career role? Was this one right here, right now? Or did yeah. you have any jobs before this one? I worked at a museum before I started my PhD. Okay. And then it was eight years of graduate work yes. to do a master's <laughs> and PhD. And in that time, I was a research assistant, a researcher, a teaching assistant, and then an instructor of record. Was this a end. Duke? Yes. Okay. This was a Duke. And then I had a very nice opportunity to teach at Middlebury uh, for a okay. little while. Okay. Yeah. All right, so what about, you've got a fascinating background, and we're going to come back to it again at the end. <laughs> so what about STEM in your role in Foothills? What kind of science, technology, engineering, and mathematics do you or the organization use on a regular basis? Yeah, I'd say the primary science that we focus on is ecology and then landscape ecology. Okay. Ecology is really just the study of patterns and processes and the relationships between species and their surrounding environments. Okay. And the way our work is informed by that is large-scale data analysis. Okay. So across the state of North Carolina, there are ecologists and biologists who go out to natural spaces and inventory what sort of natural communities are there, what sort of rare species are there. Right. This data gets collected by the state and then distributed to organizations like ours. Okay. And we use that data to figure out what places are most important to conserve. Okay. And we go out to these spaces and most of our um, people in the organization are trained in forestry and ecology. Right. So we go out and then get an intuitive sense yeah. for what spaces are really worth our time and money to conserve. Okay. So you let the data tell the story. The data very much has to tell the story for us, but going onto the ground and seeing the spaces is also important because yes. some of this data is old and yes. you can't ever use large-scale data to replace first-hand experience. Right. So I don't know if you know this, but... Our Morganton campus, every student that enrolls here, juniors, seniors, they have to take data science. So yes. that's something that we very much um, see the benefit to using it for environmental purposes, whether it be agriculture or climate or ecology. So that's something that we very much appreciate and, and know yeah. the value behind it that we're starting to invest in our students in. So. Yes, and I think that's hugely important. And I'd even emphasize that, you know, the data science is great if you're really doing a science degree or you're doing engineering or any of the STEM fields. You have to know data science. You have to know the coding behind it. You've yeah. got to know the software that does it. But 
I would say that even broader at organizations, it's very important to have a sense of how to collect data on things yourself. Yeah. So I've spent a lot of time at Foothills introducing data collection into different portions of the organization. Right. So for fundraising, for example, we already had a database. But more recently, I spent time developing just a spreadsheet for collecting volunteer data, mm -hmm. engagement data, mm -hmm. and even our large conservation history. It's funny you say that because I'm on all of these interviews I'm doing, I go back and listen and I do data points of yes of parts and I'll <laughs> I'll explain later what I use it for, what I'm using it for, but um it, it tells a story it and does. it allows us to know what's really happening. Yeah. Um the numbers don't lie. <laughs> no, they don't. It is obviously also important to have the storytelling skills yes. and that's where the humanities and yes. the arts come in because they can translate the data not only visually with data visualization but also forming a coherent, compelling story. I tell my husband, he does a, a role like, he uses a lot of data and I'm like, but your job, it's funny you say that about telling a story, I'm like, your job is to interpret the data and be able to tell what story is the data telling? Yes. And so storytelling is very important. Absolutely. Excellent. So what about like, I mean, the technology piece? Yes. Technology is hugely important for us. We manage a very large amount of land, roughly 7,000 acres on our own. Wow. And we also have to keep track of all the properties that we've done in the past. Okay. And we do this primarily through GIS, Geographic Information Technologies. Gotcha. And... My job is very much to focus on those different technologies, primarily ArcGIS Pro, but there are other different sources for it. So we use computers and computation and Python coding yeah. to make it efficient to acquire a property, put it in that format, and then to put it into ArcGIS online for public consumption so people can navigate. And that, that brings us to a point of being able to take your science and math that the general public can't interpret or don't look yeah. at and making it so that the audience can read it so it simplifies it and yes. that, I guess that's part of what you do with the graphs and the, and the data is yes. making it you know where, where the general audience can read it and interpret it. Yeah we have to make our maps simplified in a way where people aren't confused about yeah. what information we're trying to put across. Right. So there's that level of technology where it's GIS, we're taking our properties, we're taking all of the conservation we've done and making it consumable and right. making it so that we can manage the land and go to it and know where to go. Right. And the other half of the technology that we're focused on and that we're expanding now is remote sensing and satellite okay. imagery. Because we have so much land, yeah. it's very difficult to have one or two people get boots on the ground in all of these yeah. places. And satellite imagery has advanced astonishingly in the last 10, 20 years, right. making it so that we can use satellites to monitor our properties and be careful about what's happening. Do you all have a real-time system that you're currently using or we use a couple of different services i sometimes use freely available satellite data through usgs okay. to monitor yeah. and that comes out whenever the satellite gets a good yeah. shot of our land but we also subscribe to some other services okay. that uh, gather together a lot of different satellites that make it more frequent okay for us to have okay. satellite because i'm thinking you know like Google Earth's great, but it's not updated it's very not real often. I mean, it's, yeah. it's fine for just a general picture, but 
you know, you need to be able to look at real time or fairly real time fairly to real see time. what's happening and to see what's going on. Yes, and stuff gets most urgent in situations where there's been some sort of a violation where we have conservation land that no yeah. one's supposed to touch and someone chops a bunch of trees down yeah. across our line or if there's a fire. And okay. we need to know how much has been burned, what's on fire, what the damage has been done. Interesting. So if there is a forest fire in our area, are you someone that they contact pretty quickly? We usually contact fire departments and the Forest Service to handle those. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Hadn't even thought about that being a partnership that, oh, yeah. that you would have. We have to do big partnerships like that all the time. And we just did a prescribed burn on one of our properties, okay. which is effectively where we intentionally set yes. fire to the forest yes. to control it. And uh, activity like that requires a number of different partners, including the Nature Conservancy. Yeah, my dad, that was one of his first jobs working for the state yeah. was working for the Forestry Service many, many years ago. Yeah. He actually worked with um what they started the bridge program where they used with the inmates worked and helped with a lot of that um so that was many years ago like in the i think it was in the 70s but anyway so engineering is that something that's in y'all's regular field engineering is not something i personally know very much about (laughs) we have a lot of people who are ecosystem engineers okay we contract with engineering firms for our restoration efforts okay so the type of engineering we do is very much environmental engineering oriented we're working for example on funding for a stream restoration project which requires a lot of engineering knowledge to restore proper stream flow, yep. regrade the banks yep. to make sure that the stream actually works like it's supposed to work. Yeah, I know on where I live at the Catawba where we keep, they built our greenway many, many years yeah. ago and it continuously kept getting eroded and washed away yeah. when we would have floods because the water up there is very different than it is when it, once it gets down here yes. on the, in the flatter land. Slightly flatter area. <laughs> and they had to come in and restore it, and it had a total, you know, it looks completely different yeah. now than it did two years ago Yeah, because of the restoration. It's one of the nicest things to be able to sit and watch a stream restoration happen because the change is so clear and it's obvious to anyone who goes there. Yeah. We love doing before and after images. I've got before stuff. and after <laughs> images if you need it. <laughs> All right, so here's my last question that yeah. I always ask that I said I would be coming back to, and this is the one I collect data on. All right. So what other skills, that's that humanities piece that's going to yeah. come in here and not, what other skills help you be successful? So obviously, you know, you got in, interested in the environmental piece, and that kind of got you in the door yeah. with what you're doing, but what other skills help you be successful in your role that you're in now? Yeah, that's a great question. I think a lot of it is openness to collaboration. Mm-hmm. I like knowing what my colleagues are doing, and I like in putting myself or making myself available yeah. to help them in some ways. So one example of this would be our donor database. We yeah. have an Excel sheet with all the donors that we've had over time, and I realized that we didn't have a map. Mm. Of that, So I was able to take that Excel spreadsheet, geocode it, which means just attaching X and Y data to those addresses, and then make a giant map of the thousands of donors we've had across North Carolina. That's interesting. So I I, I think it's the openness to collaboration and just being genuinely interested in other people's work and how I can help other people do their job. Yeah. uh, Well, you're helping me. Like, we're networking (laughs) right now. Yes. 
you know, we already talked about, you know, what you just said, making that map, like being able to communicate with your external audience. Yeah. Um, anything else? I can't think of any other really good examples other than just making making friends with the people you work with okay. and just being open to their ideas about how they can help you, how okay. you can help them. And it very much helps to put yourself in a job that you're passionate about. And I, I yeah. think for your students here, they already have so much passion about science, math coming to a place like this. I have a feeling they will likely find themselves in a job setting where they will be extremely passionate. Right, but we find that all of those, you know, the math, the science gets you in the door, but it's those soft skills that keep you being successful in that yeah, career. Absolutely. It's a, a, it's very much people skills. It's yeah. just learning how to make friends with other people, learning how to be flexible in the way that you interact with them, really just paying attention to what they need and yeah. what you need and being a clear communicator about what you need. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you talking with me and visiting our campus and just being a partner um, through our summer programs and mentorship and, yeah. and all of that. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me.